Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk. Now, if you have been a long-time listener, you know that I get a real kick out of hearing how and where people listen to the show. Lots of people have told me that they exercise, like they're on the treadmill or riding some kind of stationary bike or something like that. Some people tell me that they walk outside, and I had one uh, listener, Margaret, if you're still listening to the show, you told me that you hike trails. I've had moms tell me that they listen while they do chores that they hate, like cleaning basement or dishes or laundry. I've had a dad tell me before that he listens as he walks at work, kind of from point A to point B. But today, we have a brand new scenario. (laughs) And a really cute story, and I want to start with an email from a mom that I got last week. And she says, Laura, I heard you say on your podcast that you love hearing where listeners listen to your show. Well, this might be a new one for you. I'm a mom of two children, a four-month-old and a 33-month-old. I'm nursing my four-month-old, and I pump every couple of hours at work. I dread pumping and started listening to your show, and time flies by while I pump. As a matter of fact, I have a hard time pausing your show to get back to work. And then she went on to talk about her son. She says, since about 18 months old, my son's teachers were asking if we had ever gotten his hearing checked. He has tubes, so we we got his hearing checked frequently uh, during routine checkups, so we knew that he could hear And we were a little offended, in fact, because we thought it was evident that he could hear planes in the sky, train horns from a distance when we didn't even notice. What was wrong with these teachers? Three teachers later, at 28 months, our daycare encouraged us to go see the state early um, childhood intervention program. We went in for an evaluation, and the results were mildly delayed social skills, and we didn't qualify for further assistance. I did ask the evaluator for any good books to read on improving speech, and she recommended Teach Me to Talk. I had forgotten until my son's teachers kept pressing that something was still not right. He was acting unhappy, angry, was biting, hitting, and whined a lot. So I started listening to your podcast while I pumped. Listening to some shows on receptive language was an aha moment for me. I just never thought of receptive language issues. I knew my son could talk, so we thought that he must understand as well. However, he doesn't answer many questions or answers them incorrectly. And she gave an example. He repeats the question or he responds, yeah, no matter what the question. And he just doesn't seem to have a connection with his own name at times, which I excuse as just being a boy. And then she goes on to say, We've started seeing a speech pathologist, and we're working on receptive language improvement. In addition, we're seeking out a second opinion on his tubes, tonsils, and his frequent ear drainage and colds to make sure we've done everything we can to be sure that he's hearing clearly. I feel so guilty that up until now I thought my son was a hellion, but he really is working in a confused world of not knowing what he's being told. I'm thankful for a daycare that did not let it go and wrote my son off as difficult. I'm thankful for the interventionist who help, who happened to mention your book. And I'm even more thankful that I found your website and podcast that led me to do something. You make me excited to try different play at home and work this thing out. It's comforting to hear when you say that diagnosis isn't everything and not get stuck there. So 
I emailed that mom back, and she decided that she could join us for today's show. How are you, Bridget? I'm good, Laura. I'm great. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited (laughs) that you're here, and I love to get detailed emails like this. You know I love hearing where people listen to the show, so that was my first thing. And I, I read the first line, and I read it from my phone, and so I couldn't get the rest of the email to load. And then I was, <laughs> you know, trying desperately to get it to load, and I was so excited when I got to my office and then got to read the rest of your email and hear that really cute story. And that's that's so great of you to share something like that. And you're right. I have never had a mom tell me that she was <laughs> pumped. So that that might be too work. much information for <laughs> your listeners. I don't know. Um, I, I was really glad to see a response back. I was really surprised to get something so quickly, so I appreciate that. Well, you've had my attention with uh, how you listen to the show, so I thought that was really cute. And I did get a real charge out of that. I don't know why, but I just think it's a, a cute way to connect <laughs> with people who listen. And, and it makes it, for me, seem real that somebody's telling me, what they do while they um, listen to the show. So, And it is not too much information for this show. You said you've listened to a lot of shows and <laughs> listened for a while. You know that I will talk about almost anything. So <laughs> that was great. Okay, so I asked you to be on the show so that we could talk about your little guy. And you've given us a, li- a, a great summary with um, it's your concern first started when daycare kept mentioning to you there's something not right there's something not right now at this point was Jonah verbal did you say that he he was talking um yeah he would have a you know pretty good vocabulary and and, um after his first teacher had mentioned it we even talked to our pediatrician she was like he has tons of words there's not a problem here um, so, yeah, at first I was like, um, they they just don't understand Jonah, you know. Right, right. And so what kinds of things um, led them to talk to you? What kinds of things were they, did they specifically point out? Was it just the behavioral stuff of hitting, biting, or was it that he's not following directions, not doing anything? Um, the first teacher um, mentioned that when they would bring out new um items to play with or whatever that he would just he wasn't very interested he just wanted to play with the toys that he played with every day he didn't want to sit down with the rest of the group to really check anything out um and then I, you know i think behaviorally and following directions she didn't she thought maybe he couldn't hear and he didn't respond to his name the way she thought he you know probably should be at that time right um and then he moved from that class to the next class and kind of the same issues again, more and more of the behavioral issues, I think, um, right. not following directions, acting out, getting frustrated. Um, and so I think um, probably around 24 months, um, they asked me to come in for a conference, and so I kind of panicked. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's angry, um, isn't it? That's scary. Yeah, and especially to hear um, his teacher, the words that really hurt me the worst was she said, he's so sad. And I (gasps) I never saw him like that. And I was like, really? He's not sad at home. Maybe he doesn't like you. (laughs) You know, I it may be really defensive to hear that he was sad. But it made you really probably sit up and take notice 
even more so than saying he's bad. Because right, yeah. bad kind of hits you at a whole new level. Right. But thinking that what's going on with my sweet baby when I'm not there. Right. And the school had mentioned early childhood inter- intervention. And, you know, it's a free service. I've never, you know, I've never even heard of that, that, you know, you could right. go get evaluated and get services. And so right. I was like, why not? Let's let's go do that. So um, sure. we went and... I just pulled out the paperwork last night to look at it again, and he had like a 17% delay in communication, but I think their threshold is 30%. Right. Um, now, what state are you in, Bridget, do you mind saying? Texas. Okay. And I've been to Texas before. I've done conferences there, and I, I don't, Johnny's laughing when I say, yes, I've been to Texas before. I mean, I've <laughs> spoken there, and so I know a little bit about their system. And when I was there, um, they were doing the big switch over and going to that 33% delay. Mm-hmm. And lots and lots of therapists were upset about that um, because they were they were feeling like they could miss a lot of kids who were more borderline who wouldn't be able to get services because the threshold for delay was bumped up more. And that sounds exactly like what happened. Yeah, and I feel like, um, to me, it's taken me a long time. I mean, it feels like a long time. That that was probably um, just late last fall that, the, you know, we had talked, had the teachers' conference. But it's taken me uh-huh. a long time to connect the dots, and I feel like, you know, I definitely want to give that feedback to the school and to ECI because, you know, if someone had said, you know, you still need to continue, look at your own insurance plan, see if you can. Right. I didn't even really understand speech therapy was for anything other than, you know, stuttering or uh-huh. having problems making sounds. Um, yeah. So luckily so I what, you know, started listening to your call and I realized, oh, speech therapy is for understanding as well as right, speaking. So. Right. And so your therapist, when you got your assessment, she didn't really talk about anything. What, what did they say? I interrupted you when you were talking about what his initial test results were. And he was, at this time, how old was he, Bridget? Like 28 months? Is that what you said? 29. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So a little over two or almost two and a half by then. So what were his test results? You said he had um, a 17% delay in communication, and then he had some social skill delays too, right? Yes. Just maybe three months on the social, but six months on, I think, communication. He was rated right. um, at 23, 24 months. Right. Um, and so what were their recommendations to you? You know, nothing really. They um, they just kind of told us it was a mild delay, and then I asked for some addition, you know, what can I, what can I do as far as what can I read? Um, and they had mentioned teach me to talk and, and some other material I can't remember offhand. But, um, but to me, when the delay um he was also premature so in my head i kept thinking oh well he's he was premature he's a little immature for his age he's a boy (laughs) so right um, all those things that we think and that we hear we hear mm -hmm. them from our mothers we hear them from the neighbors we hear them from the cashier at walmart you know everybody will say he's a boy don't worry about it yeah and also you know he had 
a lot of words. I mean, he knew a lot of words. He And I've heard you say this a lot of times on the show. He knew all his numbers. He knew all his shapes. He knew, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. So I was like, he's fine. It's just, you know, a delay, but not right. significant. Right. Um, so, But they didn't say to you, he has these delays, and he can't be on my caseload, but he needs to be on somebody's caseload. They didn't no. say that to you. And see, that's one thing, oh, gosh, if there is a therapist listening today that you've never heard me say this, listen up, because this is your <laughs> big wake-up call. When we hear, when we have a kid like that and a family like that, and they don't qualify for us, but there are some red flags and there are some issues, you have to say to a mom, Again, something like, he does not qualify for my program, but I have to tell you that there are some issues here that another therapist could help you with. And like you said, Bridget, you could have access to private insurance. Some parents just figure out the way to pay for therapy privately if that's not an option for them, or they just keep knocking on doors until they can find a therapist who will help them. But if they don't hear that from somebody, they just assume, well, I was wrong about this. He's fine. Or I was right about this. He's fine. And they Mm -hmm. continue to kind of drift along. And you were so smart to just not let it stop there. So what made you, after ECI said he doesn't qualify, what still kind of made you keep going and keep knowing that I've got to do something here. We went to ECI in January, um, and so after we left there, I was like, you know, I still continue to think that it was more of a delay, but we weren't really seeing any improvements, and his teachers weren't seeing any improvements. And, um, you know, every day when I would pick him up, I'd be like, how was his day? And they'd be like, oh. And I could tell, like, they hated to see him coming. Like, oh, here we go. Oh, no. you now, know, they how, really, you I can't about, say they really tried hard, you know. They they yeah. were trying everything. That's what I was um, going to say. Now, do you think there that it's, of course, no mom wants to think I have my child in a not-so-great daycare, but you don't think your your place isn't like that. They're really working with him and really trying, right? Um, yeah, I think they've really tried. I don't think they've always wanted to say what they thought would hurt me, but I wish they would have said, you know, when he was 18 months, look, you need to do something. It's not, He's not typical to his classmates. They should have been, I guess, a little more shocked. I guess they just try to smooth it over, you know, a little yeah. too much. <laughs> and but maybe they didn't understand. Where we're not, what to say. you know? Yeah. You're in the And, you know, where... for them to say he, maybe he can't hear, Right. You know, I, I'm not in um, education, so I didn't really understand receptive language. So if they would have, if it would have just been put a different way, um, and maybe they, you know, I wasn't I hearing, I wasn't open to hearing it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you do feel like, though, that they are wanting to help them, and I'm glad that they didn't just, blow it off with Mm -hmm. we've talked to mom and there's nothing more we can do because I think sometimes that happens with school systems or with daycares or even school systems too they say we brought this issue to the attention of the parents and then they don't ever bring it up again like you said for fear of hurting a client because you know you're paying them money every week and they still (laughs) want to make you happy on some level 
So that's good for therapists to hear, too, so that we know that we have to encourage teachers and encourage um, any other, anybody in a professional capacity to keep talking to parents in a way that they can understand it and in a way that helps them pay better attention because it is easy just to kind of lapse into um, either denial or Mm -hmm. just, um, redistributing um, the whatever's going on, chalking it up to a, a, a problem or a solution or a cause that's not the real culprit, rather than continuing to say, gosh, this is a real developmental issue and we need you to listen to what we're saying here. Yeah, and like I said in my email, like we don't have a diagnosis. We really still don't know exactly what it is. Um, we, right. You know, we've never heard, you know, clearly what what the issue is but it you have to move in some direction so exactly and i love that you're not hung up on that and i've said this before on the show i don't know if you've listened to a show where i've said this but a lot of times parents get stuck in diagnostics and they don't move on to intervention or they don't move on to therapy where they're saying okay it really doesn't matter why he has these issues we just have to work on it and we have to help him make progress and we have to see some real skill development here rather than i want um a specific diagnosis on a piece of paper so that we can decide what's going on now you uh, you obviously you said you're working with someone now you started seeing mm-hmm. another speech pathologist and that's somebody outside of the early childhood intervention of eci program right Right. And so what has she said about Jonas? Um, So we've just recently started going to her, so he's only had two visits. The first visit, um, she clearly could see he had little connection to his name. I always thought it was he was too focused on what he was doing. Um, But she thought that, you know, he doesn't really understand that that name belongs to him. So at school, to get his attention, they had started calling him JoJo. And so Jonah, she, you know, recommended definitely uh-huh. let's go back to one name. Everybody used the same name. Yeah, um, that's a good recommendation. And then she said that... Um, Let me just say something really, really quick, Bridget. Okay. Let me say something really quick for other moms and for therapists who are listening to this. Not responding to your own name is a huge red flag, and a lot of times parents will chalk that up to, like you just said, he's just busy, he just wants to pay attention to what he wants to pay attention to, he's selectively ignoring, or what, or he only hears his name when he gets in trouble, so naturally he doesn't want to respond to that. All of those things might very well be true, but typically developing babies by six months it's on the test the developmental milestones checklist at four to six months begins to alert to his own name and then six to nine months we usually see a pretty consistent response to a child hearing his name and then immediately turning or or alerting or in some way letting you know hey that made sense to me and i know that you're trying to connect with me and i'm going to respond to you in some way now some children will hear their names and say you know no or whatever and they're Mm -hmm. letting you know do not bug me right now i get that you want my attention but i am not willing to give that to you and that's a totally separate issue than a little guy or girl who don't really alert to that and it's 
it's a pretty big deal, but and I wish that your daycare teachers, if they had said to you, Bridget, when we're saying he doesn't respond to his name, that's something that we usually get in typically developing kids by six months, nine months. That would have made you sit yeah. up and pay attention a little bit more. Yeah. 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 Um, so what kinds of what other kinds of things did she say? And I'm going to give you some more ideas to work on paying attention to his name in just a minute. But go on and kind of summarize what what else. Um, I think we're working more on the receptive thing. So she has us working on choices and making sure that you know we hold the choices in front of our face because he doesn't. She said he's not really connecting, um, making eye contact, and understanding right. that what you're holding in front of him is coming from you. So. Sometimes right. when I listen to your show, I get really nervous about autism or being on the spectrum. My yeah. husband has worked in special education, so he's already said, you know, uh, he kind of has some autism characteristics, so that makes me panic. Right. And I don't really, he may, I don't know. Um, yeah. So we're working on well, that. Well, it's a possibility, and because, you know, and I haven't seen him, so, you know, just me saying that, I don't want you to, you know, feel like I've, you know, hitch in the stomach or, you know, taking the wind out of your sails or anything, but hearing any time we hear that a child has receptive language issues and that his expressive language skills are higher than receptive language skills, that's something, you know, autism is something that we would certainly want to rule out. And then when we hear that, you know, on a standardized test, when he, when you guys saw ECI, he already had the beginnings of a documented delay in those skills, uh, mm-hmm. in social skills, that's, that is something that I would, if I were you, talk to your new therapist about. Have you mentioned that to her directly yet, or you feel like you're just getting to know her and he's just getting to know him, and so you haven't really talked to that yet with her? Um, I can't remember exactly what it was that she was doing with him, and she said, oh, I, I know he doesn't have autism because of this. I can't remember. I wish yeah. I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when they were playing, it was something that he did, and she was like, if he was on the spectrum, he would not have done that. So Good. All right, so that makes me feel better, and that's certainly something that I say to parents. I have a lot of parents who will bring their kids, and they're just in the same situation that you are. I have a little guy that I'm going to work with, um, that I'm going to see him tomorrow. But this will be the second or third time I've seen him. That the same situation. He did not qualify for his state's early intervention program, but there have been some little red flags that made her get really scared about autism, their pediatrician said, I think his joint attention isn't great. And joint attention, do you know what I mean by that term? It's that you guys can play with something together and he's st- he doesn't just totally leave you out of that. He doesn't totally hyper-focus. He can include you in that play too, mm-hmm. that joint attention piece. And how how's Jenna's joint attention? Um, it, I can tell it's developing. So since I've been listening to your show, I've bought a lot of toys and stuff for us to yeah. play with because I, I think in our heads um, we were like, oh, he has way too many toys, but it was just, for lack of a better term, crap. You know, it wasn't anything right. that we could do together and learn. So I bought a, different, right. a lot of different games, and I can tell that he wants to see me do this, and he wants right. um and I'm well, more concerned right now about his play by himself than it is with me. But 
that's an issue and, we'll get to in a minute. And he but likes his, to play with, um, you know, adults or older kids that can um, lead the play. And I think that's a, right. a lot of the issues in his class. He doesn't play along no. with. His I don't kids. know how to put that. Mm-hmm. He needs stru- he needs structure to be able to participate, and and same age little peers cannot give that to you like an older child or an adult can, right. and that is just a classic receptive language indicator. Like as long as somebody can support me and guide me and lead me through this play, I am all for it. But when uh, there's not somebody there to do that, forget it. I'd rather play on my own, or I'm going to melt down because. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make real sense to me, right. and we see that a lot. What I was asking about, I remember my train of thought now, with the joint attention piece, I wonder if that's not what your therapist saw when she was interacting with him and playing with him, because when a child has, when we when when we know that autism is something that we should really, really, really be concerned about, one of the core deficiencies that a child has is that there's, not good joint attention. So when they're playing, they are just so lost in or whatever they're paying attention to. It could be TV, it could be the iPad, it could be watching the ceiling fans spin, it could be watching, um, you know, a piece of dust go into the air conditioning vent. Whatever it is, it is hard to disrupt their attention because they are so hyper-focused on what it is that they're playing with or attending mm-hmm. to or, you know, whatever it is. And so when I was saying that I was seeing a little boy like tomorrow whose mom was so worried about autism, but he has fair joint attention in a task. And so that's why we can say with some degree of confidence He's got some delays, but he is not going to completely fit the diagnostic profile of a child who would get a diagnosis of autism at two or whatever. Now, sometimes we have these borderline kids that I really feel like intervention um, puts them on a whole new path, and we we markedly change how they would turn out by doing therapy, by changing how moms and dads interact, by doing what you've done, you know, buying different toys and just changing our focus and doing all that, that's the best case scenario. Sometimes we do have children that we worry about red flags and who have these markers and who we work with a little bit, but then they still later on go on to get that diagnosis. And I, I don't, I'm certainly not saying this to scare you, but I, just for our other listeners, I want other moms and dads to hear, you know, this is something that, this it, it's why we do therapy. It, it's why we spend all this time and energy and money and effort is to change the path, to change little brains and to mm-hmm. get a kid going in a different direction. But sometimes you still get that diagnosis. It may not be severe enough for uh, someone to give it to a child at two because they feel like they're, you know, they don't meet all the criteria or they're so borderline that you don't want to miss or misdiagnose, but then you still might hear that on down the road. And, again, I haven't seen Jonah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going with what you are saying, and if you have a therapist who said to you, I'm not worried about that, Go with that. Go with yeah. that. Um, you know, there may have been a couple of little quirks that the first folks 
saw and that, you know, kind of documented there with that social skill delay. But they didn't talk to you about autism in that first meeting with you, did they? I mean, they didn't even qualify no. for service. Right. Okay, good. Okay. So that little um, The other there. thing that we're working on is sharing. So having one thing that his um, we notice and also the speech therapist is, um, he has very little attention. Like he just wants to jump from thing to thing to thing. And so yeah. having him um, pick a game, complete it, and then someone else pick a game, um, letting, you know, turn taking, um, right. and having him clean up, finish a game, and yeah. not just. And he really has a hard time with that at home. It's one minute yeah. to play, icebreakers, let's play. You know, it's just from one thing to another. Right. Um, you're doing like the right thing, though. You're doing the right thing with having him clean up, and that that having him completely finish, even if he just wants to play something for a minute, thirty seconds. You know, you measure progress over time with you know thirty days from now. Is he playing for three whole minutes? You mm-hmm. know, and it may it may be that slow with the progression. It may be, you know, it may take much longer. To get him how much? To, how much do I press him to finish? Like if we're putting together the icebreaker game and we haven't even started, you know, if it's moving too slow for him, he's he's like, okay, I'm done. Let's go to something. How much do I press him to? Well, wait, let's are, finish. We're doing this. <laughs> yeah, this is what I do. I try to go fast, and so if you, if the pace is, he can't just kind of sit there while you're, you know lollygagging to get the pieces together, then you just have to change yourself on that. And you have to go okay. faster so he stays with you more. And then that'll – he'll build a little more tolerance for you and for the time it takes to get the game together or get the activity assembled, but not after you have so hooked him on playing with you that he mm-hmm. learns, okay, this is going to be worth me sitting here waiting a minute. I can wait this out it's going to be a lot of fun when she finally gets it put together. Do you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. at the beginning, you have to hurry to really, really, really hook their attention right at the beginning and do a lot of stuff with your face and with your body language and with your voice so that even while you're putting the game together or trying to get it together, you're still pretty fun, you know, keeping him hooked on what you're going to do. So you may be saying, oh, Jonah, oh, it's going to be so fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that kind of stuff, because that will build anticipation. And then you can still, you know, if you're having to say, you got to wait till Mom finishes. I'm not yeah. fast. I can't, you know, and I know that you don't Actually, I'm that. like, help me. You need to help me. If you want to play, help me. <laughs> <laughs> but that might be a thing. It's figuring out something, some little part of that. I've had children that I've purposefully dropped or thrown or something, a piece, so that they, it'll take them, you know, 15 seconds to reach over and get it and give it back to me so that I can hurriedly, get the game assembled or whatever, the toy or whatever we're going to play with. And so if you can give him a little part of that, but really at the beginning it really involves being on your toes enough so that you are keeping him with you and not -hmm. not letting him get discouraged so that, and he'll learn, this is fun, I can wait this out, he's getting it ready. (laughs) You know, and that's where we lose a lot. 
kids because our transition time, you know, to get an activity started. So the other thing that I like to do, um, and you've seen some DVDs, right, Bridget? You had some, well, I just um, got the um, Teach Me to Play on Friday and the Listen and Obey, too. And so we've been going through the Teach Me to Play manual. Okay. Um, if you'll watch the DVD, one thing that I do is I have almost all of my activities ready to go. But in, I use I, Ziploc should really have to pay me royalty because I have sold <laughs> a lot of bags giving them. But I get those giant two-and-a-half-gallon Ziploc bags. So nearly any toy and accessories, nearly anything will fit. Puzzles fit in there, games fit in there, anything. So that the bag is there as a visual representation to a kid of, okay, this is the beginning, it's all together, it's all in this bag. And then we'll do a little open routine so that they learn that this is the beginning of how we play and I'll have usually I'm having them tell me open or help or something and then we unzip the bag and then we take the pieces out together. You're really consistent about how you present activities. It does tend to make the play a bit more predictable so that a kid figures out, okay, everything we play, it's going to take her a few minutes to kind of get it together. So they Mm -hmm. know that and they anticipate that. And you don't lose them while you're trying to get the routine started or the play started. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So watch on the DVD for that, and you'll get kind of a little opening routine. Now, a lot of moms, you know, you're thinking, no way am I putting all these toys and plastic bags around here. And I'm not really saying that. I'm just saying that you want to give your child a predictable way to begin every single play activities that they're going to do with you. So, again, that you can teach them the beginning is of this play thing is that we're going to pick what we want to play and then we're going to open it, we're going to get the pieces out, we're going to put it together and we're going to start. And then for a little guy like Jonah, it is so unrealistic for you to think that he's going to be able to sit and play (laughs) with one toy for 20 minutes. I mean, he can't do it. And Mm so how you measure progress really is like that with, okay, today he played with it for 45 seconds. You know, let's see next week if we're getting a minute and a half. And let's see next week if it's two minutes. And it really might be that incremental progress because busy kids like that aren't going to just totally be able to, one day they can't sit at all, and then the next day they sit beautifully for 20 minutes. It does not happen like that with toddlers. It just doesn't. Okay. So what I like, the other thing I like to do with that is do the one more turn thing. So you just make them do one more repetition of whatever it is when you see that they're ready to be done. And so if you were playing icebreakers, I haven't played that game in a long time, but that's where you're, you've got a little hammer and you're hammering kids to see. If yeah, once we get the game night. together, it doesn't last very long. It's just the, you know, you break the ice through and you have to put the ice back in. So waiting for the ice to get back in is um, torture. And I'm just going to have to get faster at it. <laughs> yeah. but um, You might have to be a teeny bit older before that game is going to be more fun for him. I would say that okay. is not a game that I play with two-year-olds all the time. I don't know if that makes you go better or worse. I mean, if he likes it, keep trying to play. But what well, you, we did it at I, the therapist's office is why I got it because I'd never seen him play it before and he really uh-huh. seemed to like it there, so that's why we got that. So what does she do to keep his attention a little bit better? 
Um, she had him helping her, and she was trying to, um, with that, she was kind of working on prepositions, so put it beside this one and, you know, right. um, and also the sharing, taking turns, yeah. hammering it in, so. Um, I would just try, my goal for him, if I were you, is just to get him to do one or two more little things beyond when he wants to put it up. I mean, he's not going to okay. be able to sit with you for seven or eight more minutes. Just do that one more time or one more turn. And sometimes I say that I can get a kid, I can say one more time, like two or three times in a row. You know, they'll do one more time. And I can say, okay, one more time, you know, yeah. just to get extended just a little bit. And then when he's finished, don't let him get away with not helping you clean it up. If it's if you're yeah. putting it back in the box, whatever you're doing. Sometimes singing, clean up, clean up, or whatever your little, do you have a clean up song or a clean up routine that you do right now? We've tried that before, yeah. Okay, so what, does he like it or does he just get mad and move on? Um, it takes a lot of um, asking him, but he, you know, he'll do it. It just he's ready to move on. He doesn't like no. to do it, but yeah. And sometimes, if I were videoing me with a kid like this, it would look like we were wrestling because I really yeah. do <laughs> happily make him do it. I'm still singing, clean up, clean up, and yeah. I still sound happy, and it still kind of looks a little happy if you're looking at my face. But I really am taking their little hands and just hand over hand assistance, helping them, making them, whatever you want to call it, get through that. Because once they yeah. really learn this part of the routine, and I can either do it with her help or I can do it without her help, and it might be a little more pleasant to me if I just put the dang ice cubes in there because she's going to make me do it anyway. That'll help. But a really consistent begin the routine and then play and then the one more time, one more turn, however, you know, two or three more past whatever you're making him do. If you have a nine-piece puzzle and after three pieces he's ready to put it up, just have him do one more. Don't I don't really make kids at the beginning do all nine pieces before we put it up. Just one or two more little pieces, and then we can clean it up. And then they kind of feel like on some level, mom gets me. She knows I want to, I want to move on, and they're a little more willing to do that one more time or one more turn because you've shown them you're not going to have to do the whole darn thing, but you still need to try just a little bit harder before we yeah. move on. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So I would try that, but the in the end ending cleaning up before you move on to something else is just critical. Now will he be able to do that all day, every day with you at home? No. But when you're playing with him one on one, you really want to help that become part of your routine. And I promise that will help extend his attention span. And I wonder okay. if they're doing that at, at school. If they're not doing that at daycare, that's certainly something I would suggest. Yeah, I know they clean up, and he's very, like when I, we've just started really doing this kind of routine, but he knows the mat. He started calling the rug in the living room the mat. So he's just, you know, very socialized that way, um, knowing where we're going to play. And that's great. And the more visual you can be with him and the more routine, that's going to help a lot of this get better, too. And I promise after over some time, it will carry over to other places, other activities, other settings. But you have to be so deliberate about it at the beginning to kind of get the routine going so that you're you're changing how he's done it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Really, and really what you're doing is you're, you know, making new habits. And that, that takes some time and some work on your part. 
Yes. But you'll be able to do it. I know you will. <laughs> so I think where we are right now, you know, he likes playing the games with us. Um, and yeah. kind of what I mentioned in my email was, you know, uh-huh. with a baby, we have a lot of times where we can't sit down and play. Right. And, um, we, we've overused the eye devices, um, yeah. our TV. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard habit to break. But I'm glad that you're looking at how you can reduce that time. Some parents are able to go just kind of cold turkey. We're not going to watch TV anymore. We're not going to use iPad, iPod, whatever you've used. But that doesn't work in a lot of homes, and it probably is not going to work for you guys because you have a new baby. And so what mm-hmm. I would just look at if I were you is we will only those when it's, it is there's no other option for me. And so if you're just at reducing it rather than eliminating it, that might be a better way to look at it for where okay. you are, your season of life, <laughs> because mm-hmm. you can't leave the crying baby when, you know, you can't. You have to be able to take a shower. You have to be able to get dinner. And so if you're really just saving those kinds of activities for when you have absolutely no other option, I don't think you should beat yourself up about that. You know, the baby's going to get bigger in a year. He's going to be older and be more mature and be able to be on his own. The baby's not going to need you quite so much. But for right now, in this little period of time, um, I would when, when you have to use it and when you feel like, I can do not have another way to get this phone made, unless I put that show on or unless I set up this game for him, don't beat yourself up too much about that because you're only one person. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And just reduce it as much as you can, but if you can't eliminate it, you can't. And and so sometimes when I have this talk with parents, they'll say, well, I've been doing it six hours a day. Can I do it four hours a day? Is that eliminating? Is that reducing enough? <laughs> no, that's not reducing enough. I'm I'm saying really only use, I, you know, if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't feel too badly about it if he had to watch a little show while I hurried and got ready and, you know, changed the baby and we got ourselves ready to go, you know, a 20-minute, 30-minute show. Not ideal, but that's not the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, I don't worry that much about the shows. It's more um, the show he can watch for a while, but when he's on the iPad, he just jumps from, I mean, he won't even finish a game or a show. He just, that seems to perpetuate his inability to make it, you know, to have an attention. So I worry about that part. But And that's what the research tells us, is that those kinds of things with that intense visual overstimulation that we're giving kids is that it really teaches their little brains to scan, shift, scan, shift, scan, shift. So if that's what he's really having a hard time with, then just try to, you know, pick the lesser of two evils. If it's okay. if he does better yeah. with the show, in my mind, that would be better. Now, again, is this going to be what you're going to do for the next five years? No. Over time, you're going to build, help him build attention span and his ability to play with and do some other things, so you should be able to fade that over time, but you've got a starting point. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, again, because your baby's so little, 
right now don't beat yourself up about it too much. Just do what you can. The whole iPad thing, if you think, though, that that is so overstimulating to him, that's what I would eliminate right now. Okay. If he's not really able to do it. Go ahead. Is this really, like, I don't under, I guess I haven't made all the connection to how this is going to help him be more, understand receptively and increase his expression so that he doesn't have all these issues. Here's the thing. You have to get his kind of baseline regulatory level or his baseline ability to pay attention under control so that he's not totally wanting to move on or be so busy or be so fast that he gets lost and, and, and that that drive takes over him really being able to understand words and attend to you long enough to make that connection with what words really mean so that he can follow directions. Is that what you're seeing with him, that he's so eager to move on or eager to do something, or is he just kind of a shut-it-out kid when he's doing his own thing, everything else in the world kind of disappears, and so when he's playing with the iPad, he does he can't even hear or process what you've said because he's so focused on what he's doing. Oh, yeah. When he's on the iPad, it, there's no – you have to turn it off or get in his face. Um, yeah. And so that's and that usually what really, we do, turn it off. <laughs> yeah, and that really tells you he's visually overstimulated. He he is on overload to the point mm-hmm. where he can't focus on anything else. And so in that case, I would use that really, really judiciously – and find things that you can be a part of with him. Otherwise, you're defeating the whole purpose of using the iPad, which, you know, would be to, unless your purpose is diversion and I need him to do his own thing while I get my clothes on here. Yeah. You know, if that's (laughs) your purpose, then that's your purpose. And, you know, okay, it is what it is, but I need 10 minutes here. Yeah. Or if your purpose is educational, he's got to be able to have an adult make that educational. So he's got to be able to pay attention and focus on you too versus just moving on to the next thing. And had um, I, I posted on, I don't know if you do Facebook or not, Bridget, but on yeah. Talk Facebook page uh, several weeks ago I posted this talk by a pediatrician about how overuse of screen time really rewires little brains to not be able to take in real life. And so I don't know if you've seen that or not, but you might want to flip back through. Have you watched that before? Yes, I've watched it um, after I listened to one of your shows, and then I was telling my husband about that um, just on Friday about, um, because we, that was another thing. Part of our bedtime routine was to watch Baby Einstein, and um, we thought, oh, this is great, you know, and we could hardly name the pictures before they would turn, you know, but we thought, we're we're teaching him all these different things, and he knows these animals. <laughs> yeah. So. But is he able to make the connection with real life, with what he sees on the screen? Is he able to generalize that? Because lots of kids with receptive language issues aren't. They don't really make that connection. No, I don't think so. Yeah. No, and that's how you know that. that, okay, we've got to replace this. We've got to replace this activity with something that's really going to be more beneficial to him. And I kind of think about it as, okay, he 
you know, his learning style is just not going to be all of that visual input because he doesn't make the necessary connections. He might look like he's fully engaged. He might pitch a fit if you turn it off, but you know that he's not really learning information that way. And so a lot of times right. that helps parents be able to justify removing that because sometimes parents will say, but it's the only thing he loves. How can you ask me to give that up? <laughs> you know, and I get that. And, you know, if I, I and I have said on this show a lot, man, if there's one huge parenting mistake I made, it's that we really over-relied on TV and on little shows and things like that. But we didn't have the research then that we have now. We, um, I guess just in the past maybe I less than six months, we've started reading books before bed. And we just he didn't even seem to mind. We were the ones thinking that, you know, he was going to not be able to go to sleep if he didn't watch Baby Einstein. So, right. Um, and you were kind of conditioned to that. But he Right. Okay, we even took it when we went on vacation. Anytime we were like, yeah. did you get the Baby Einstein? They have to have a DVD where we're going. <laughs> you know, we were very, like, worried that he wouldn't be able to wind down without his Baby Einstein. So, But he is. He does, right? Oh, yeah. He loves to read. Yeah. Now that's, you know, we have and to read. Totally and interactive and you know this is what parents will tell me too and I think this is the point that you're at with him they'll say okay Laura you've got us really playing all this stuff and doing all this interactive stuff but now he won't play by himself what am I supposed to do (laughs) you know and you have to kind of look at it as we want him to be almost uber connected to you right now because this is the critical point in his development where he has got to make sense of his little world. And you are his favorite and best teacher. And so any time that you have the option of doing something with him or without him, when you can possibly make it work with him, you have to opt to do it with him. Is that a pain in the behind? Yes. But you just have to do it because we want to yeah. teach our kids to be connected and we want to teach them we will, you know, give you information. We will help you make sense of your little world. And, again, this won't last forever. And it is the timing, too, is particularly terrible when you have another itty-bitty baby who's depending on you for physical survival but you just got to kind of make it work. And so when you're getting ready in the morning or when you're doing something, is he able to play with a a game or a toy or something if you're in the same room but not necessarily sitting down with him? Um, He'll usually, you know, play with cars, trains, something for a little while, Um, but then he usually finds himself, you know, into something (laughs) not good. Sticking the bulb syringe in the baby's nose or whatever. Uh, yeah, all those fun things they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is, it's not going to be pretty, but you're just going to have to through it with and helping him figure out some things that he can do. And a lot of times what I'll really suggest to moms is after we've played with the toy in the therapy session, you know, a lot, I'll say, he's so great at this toy. We've gotten into the point where this place gets where he's pretty darn proficient then you can kind of turn that over to be an independent activity. So the more that you can teach him and play with him and get him good at with you, the more he's going to be able to do it by himself. But, again, that's going to take some time. And, again, especially for a little guy whose attention span isn't very 
long and for who needs that structure. You've already given me that great example of he really likes to play with older kids and with adults better because that's when it makes sense to him and when it when it's yeah. more fun because you can't navigate it alone. So what I would try to really do is um, what kinds of toys does he like, Bridget? What will he do on besides cars and trains? Is that about it? He does, um, at school, he does puzzles a lot. I don't know, um, at home he really only wants to do them when we do them with him. Um, but he does puzzles a lot at school from what they say um, alone. Um, you know, what I would try with those puzzles while you're getting the baby ready, I would, will he follow directions with puzzles like, and you'll see some ideas like this on Teach Me to Listen and Day 2, where you're playing some games and you might have the pieces kind of set up even a little ways across the room from him. And, you you know, you may be able to say, get the dog and run, put it in. And then he'll oh, yeah, the dog that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, get the cat and run, put it in. That's the kind of thing that even though it won't be so great for you, you can put your makeup on while you are having yeah. to do that thing if you know the puzzle. And so those kinds of little things, you may have to really help him bridge um, learning how to play by himself and do some of those things on his own while you give him some support but aren't right there beside him. So you may have to talk him through some of those play things a long time before he's really going to be able to play by himself because he doesn't know how to do it yet or he Yeah. Well, you know and I, mean? it seems, I don't know if um, it's because of the baby or because we've started working on these things, but recently it's like he can't even stop whining and wanting me to hold him and follow me around to even do he has a hard time even sitting and watching tv so i don't know if it's the baby or because we've started working on these things and he feels kind of like, like his world's being shook up or what? yeah i think it's a combination of all of those things mm-hmm. and you know, it's just going to be a transition period that you have to really help him get over. He's not going to be able to get over it by himself. I mean, this is just going to take a lot of TLC on your part where you really help him learn how to play a little bit more independently. And because mm-hmm. he's got the receptive language issues, um, it's, it's going to be harder. It's just going to be harder. And there's nothing you can really do to change it except work through it because you're not going to be able to go put him in his bedroom close the door and say stay here until I get back I mean that's just yeah not going to work (laughs) and so you've got to really just work him through it and I would try because of the receptive language issues you're going to really have to simplify and you're going to really have to be repetitive and help him make those connections but I promise you over time, those kinds of things get better. It may not feel better day to day, but it will feel mm-hmm. better month to month. I have one mom that I'm working with that I say, okay, season to season, quarter to quarter. Yeah. And then she'll say, okay, well, it feels I like I've been saying pass. to myself for so long that this too shall pass, but yeah. it just isn't passing. And, um, you know, I said, but, you know, you keep saying, oh, it's just the twos. And then I talk to other people and I'm like, wait, close. You get to three. It's no better. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, if we be, could just have him, um, I, you know, different people have told us so many different things. So it's like maybe if I can just make him talk and make him it come out, but I guess I'm slowly realizing that he doesn't have the words to say what it is that he needs to say. Um, right, right. He doesn't have the ability or he would have already done it. 
And so there's no amount of um, wishing and there's no amount of, you know, treating it like behavior, which you haven't done. There's no amount of that. It's just the hard work of helping him learn it and make those connections. But right. you're working on the right stuff. And you just started therapy. You've only had two sessions. I know. <laughs> so, you yep. know, you're not really supposed to be any further along. I mean, you might be looking at it and thinking, okay, we've been dealing with this for months, but you really haven't gotten your solution in place until now. And mm-hmm. so I wouldn't even look at it as, anything other than we're on the right path, we're doing the right stuff, we just started therapy, I just started, you know, looking at, um, what did you say you got? You said you got Teach Me to Play With You and Teach Me to Listen and Obey Too. Right. Yeah, you've just gotten those resources last week. So it's it's going to take, I wish that it were overnight that these changes happened, but it, it just doesn't happen that way. And so Yeah, we just yeah. um we just went last week to see the um ear, nose and throat again. So we're he's getting his tonsils out because he's still drooling. He has a hard time swallowing. So, you know, his therapist mentioned, you know, he can barely get you know, there's too much in there in his mouth to really speak, so that could be but, part of it as well. Oh, that's a big, big, big part of it. And so again, that's gonna take you know, time for that medical intervention to take place. He has to have his little, you know, a little surgery to get that going. Mm-hmm. You're doing all the right stuff, I promise. In six months and a year, you're going to look back, and it feels like a longer period of time to you because you haven't, you've just been looking for help, but you've just now really gotten a good plan in place. Do you know right. what I mean? You didn't qualify mm-hmm. for services before, and now you have a therapist. Um, so. You're on the right track. You really are, but it may not feel like I just like had that. one yeah. more question, sure. too. Is this um, something that, you know, like you said, we'll look back in six months, but is it something that we should um, think about not letting him advance at, you know, oh, daycare, daycare? or Yeah, and that was one of your other questions. Um, you're going to really have to just follow the lead from his, daycare with that i mean are they talking are they talking with you about whether they should bump him up to the threes on his birthday or is that just something you and your husband are just kind of getting concerned about well they go by school year so it'll be august and his birthday's in july but um, i think more so they talk about the potty training if he's not potty Uh trained but um they haven't really talked to me about the other the play stuff and um but i think that's kind of I have to kind of read what they're saying, and I think that's what, you know, they want him to be further along. Right. You know, I always think it's better to keep a kid where they can be successful developmentally. So if that means that he stays in the two-year-old class while everybody else moves up, I've had a lot of kids have success with that. And so if they'll let you do that, great. If they don't let you do that, and if he's not potty trained a lot, and that they have that, you know, firm rule about that, and you can't beg them to change their minds, you may have to find a different option where they will look at his developmental needs uh, over his chronological age. And some, and he had, he he'll, you know, if we put him on the potty, he'll go. But I don't think he. 
I think it's part of this language thing. He doesn't. He's never told us he has to go, and I think it's made the connection. Yeah. He, you know, and they're just, you know, kind of trying to push him along, and I don't, you know, without being able to say or, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen until. Well, and what, and you know, and a lot of times parents will make the mistake of making that way too big of a deal before a child's really developmentally ready. So what I would do is have a good backup plan that if he's not potty training as fast as they want him to, you still have another daycare option for um, for him if they're not going to be able to bump him up or if they're not just going to leave him in the two. Yeah. A, lot of parent, a lot of centers will do that, and parents will get a little bit upset about that. But really, I'd rather a kid be in a classroom where developmentally he is not the last kid to still be struggling with things. You know what I mean? So you want him Mm -hmm. to match his developmental age more so than his chronological age. So they'll start to – you'll you'll get a feel for – and you may be able to talk to your speech pathologist too about what are some other programs that – that um, may be more lenient about the whole potty training thing, and she may and be well, able to. And will there come a time where, um, you know, we don't have to go to speech? That he'll be caught up, or is it just one of those things that, if it's something, I guess, an auditory, auditory response, or is it exactly. something that and we, we can't always really be doing predict. Yeah, we can't really predict which kids are going to need. You know, that this turns into a chronic issue, a long-term problem, or if it's something that they just need a little jump start with therapy and they do okay. And honestly, I've seen it happen a lot of different ways where okay. where they're in their short term and then we graduate them and I never hear from mom again and I might see your target four years later and she says, oh, my God, you're doing great. Oh, thank you mm-hmm. so much. We haven't needed anybody else. And then I'll see a kid that we discharged, and she'll call me back and say, Laura, oh, my gosh, he's still struggling with, or, or, you know, whatever the next little milestone was, he just, he couldn't get it. And so, you know, even though we thought things were moving along, they kind of got stuck again. Or you might see that a kid, you know, doesn't really graduate or get discharged from therapy for a while. And so we just... It's without having seen him, it's hard to predict, you know, which okay. which track he's going to be on. But you know, the thing that makes that more likely, the the kids with the better outcomes, nearly always have super committed parents who are in there and really working with them at home, in addition to the programming that they're getting with speech therapy or whatever else. Has your speech therapist suggested having an occupational therapist look at him yet? No. 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 That might be something that you want to talk to her about the next time you go and ask, do you think he needs OT? Because for our kids who have difficulty with that regulation piece and with that attention span, a lot of times there's an underlying sensory processing difference that if we can get an OT to look at, they can really help you with figuring out how he ticks and how he learns and putting those places, putting those things, uh, getting those things in place. Um, it's, we're, we're over an hour with the show. <laughs> you okay. still have some things that I didn't really address, so this is up to you. Do you want me to try to hurriedly go through these suggestions to you? 
do you want to work with him a few more weeks and then call me back on the show and kind of get an update with where he is? Do you want me to email you these ideas separately? How do you want to handle those other specific questions that we didn't get to today? You can give me your suggestions, and then I'd be glad to we can follow up and if I have any questions or see how it's going. That sounds great. All right, with the whole, we've already talked about your your questions that you sent me, your iPhone, iPad, TV thing. We talked about that a lot. Other things that I would do, really pay attention to the kinds of toys that he's playing with. Great when you're playing together and figure out how you can be able to, like I said, coach him from afar so that he's playing with that on his own, but you're still kind of providing that verbal support to kind of walk him through that. Other things that I would try, um, since he likes that uh, visual um, feedback, you said he'll do books with you. Will he look at books without you? Um, He doesn't usually. You may try that with a book or two that he really likes at bedtime the next time that you're doing something that you can't sit right beside him. And, again, it won't be at bedtime that you're expecting him to do this because that's totally mm-hmm. out of your routine. But you might say, I'm over here you know, cooking or whatever you're doing. Why don't you read that to Mommy? And why don't you tell me what you see and see if you can get him to make books a little more independent, see if he'll, he'll okay. do that with books. And and that's what you want to do. You want to look at for something that he's good at and that he likes with you and then try to transition that to something he can do without you. And that, that's where I think you're going to find more success. Will he do really simple kind of cause and effect toys by himself or does he just get sick of that and move on? Um, I don't know. Like what would that I use, like, and you'll see some examples of this on the DVD. I have a little racetrack that you put the cars on top and you push a little lever and then the cars go down the swirly race, uh, each side of the swirly racetrack. That kind of toy sometimes, kids have to be in the right developmental level. Some kids that are busy because it's such a simple toy will be able to do it over and over and over again by themselves. But some kids, as they're getting closer to three, that's only fun for about two times before they're ready to move on. So yeah, you'll no, just, that wouldn't that wouldn't keep that him wouldn't hold a racetrack like that. Yeah. Okay. So you're just going to have to look at for something that's visually that he can see something that has a good enough visual payoff, but that it's not so difficult that he can't do it on his own. And that's okay. kind of that happy medium there. So look for those kinds of toys. You're out. Again, that's when I would really pull out your social games um, and you've got all of those and teach me to play with you with those little finger plays and do those kinds of things with him when he can have your attention and then save all of your devices for when you absolutely cannot interact with him but you still need him occupied. And don't beat yourself up too much about that when when you need that kind of help. Uh, your next question was about him whining and crying and not knowing what to do. I promise when he gets more words, that will get better. <laughs> he okay. just needs to be a, you just need to keep pumping that vocabulary in receptively. When he understands his world a little bit better, he'll start to use more words on his own, and then he'll be able to tell you what's going on. It, and I, I really hear you when you said, sometimes I tell him to use his words, but I don't know if he has them. And that's yeah. that's, that's a temporary Thing. The more you can teach him to understand, 
and to follow directions with and to really make the connections with, he will be able to use them expressively at some point. you just got to keep pumping it in there comprehension-wise. And we've heard from so many different parents and his teachers that we just tell him until he can tell us what's wrong to go away. And so we tried that, you know, it doesn't work very well, but that is that the right thing to do to try to make him? I know that there are words he, it's hard for me to tell which is behavior and which is what he doesn't know to say, um, I guess. Is I would go, I would opt to language. I would defer to language every single time. Now, I wouldn't assume anything is behavior. I would go with he doesn't know how to tell me or he would tell me, and that's going to make you more empathetic to him. And it's going to help you work a little harder to figure out what he's trying to say. And I I mean, will he lead you? Will he show you when something's wrong or when he wants something? Or he just kind of lays there and cries? Um, It's usually not something that he wants. It's just that he just wants, you know, he's not, it's either he doesn't feel good or he wants her to do something. You know, it's, it's usually pretty clear what it, you know, He's just um, what it is. Yeah, he just... Okay. And so mm-hmm. that's where I think OT might be able to help you, where you can get some activities that help him regulate a little bit better and help him self-soothe and self-calm a little bit. And okay. so if you're adding those activities into his day, a lot of parents see an immediate improvement because they just... It's not that they don't... Sometimes when a kid is doing that kind of thing, I'll think, gosh, he just wants to jump out of his skin. He's just... He's just so upset. He's just, you know, nothing is right in the world to him. That's what I think little... part of the what his teacher said about him being sad is like, we don't know. He just wants, right. he, he's not happy. <laughs> right. And so that's what I mean about self-regulatory activities and ways to calm him. For some kids, it's swinging. For some kids, it's jumping. Some kids, uh, you know, like if you'll think about some adults are avid runners. And really the reason that they run is because their bodies need that much movement to make them feel good, to make them feel regulated. I don't know what does that for you. For me, if I'm <laughs> upset. It's like, not oh. running. <laughs> yeah, me either. But French fries and a cold Coke Zero maybe. You know, so yeah. you're going to have to figure out what works for him. That's why some kids really need pacifiers need something mm-hmm. to chew on because that's how they regulate is with their little mouth. So an OT, your speech pathologist may be able to help you figure that out. But if she's not, mm-hmm. get a recommendation for an educational therapist because uh, who specializes in sensory issues, and they'll help you pinpoint that. They'll help figure out what makes him calm down and pull it together. And then, you know, when you're upset or worried or anxious or you feel bad or whatever negative thing you have going on, when your body feels better, then everything else falls into place. You know what I mean? And it sounds like he's is that a um, Is that a development thing or is that with all kids? It's not with all kids, but some kids with developmental delays and the kind of kid that I'm thinking that Jonah is, that's playing a big part of it for him is that he just has a system that isn't typical. You know, he has just a really either overreactive system or an underreactive system. And without seeing him, I, you know, I don't know which one he would be. And that's why I think you need an OT and, or your speech pathologist may be really skilled at that, you know, give her a shot at it first (laughs) 
and see if she can help you tease some of that stuff out. And I would start really looking um, at some sensory resources and seeing if, if some of that doesn't fit Jonah. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but that might provide some answers for you. Did you say sensory? Uh-huh. Okay. And let me send you a website. It's, I think it's sensory-processing.com. But I'm going to put that link up on Teach Me to Talk, uh, Teach Me to Talk's Facebook page when I find it. When I and they have a lot of checklists on that website, so you can kind of figure out which profile he fits into, if any. Okay. And it'll give you some suggestions, and that'll give you something to start thinking about and helping you decide if you, if uh, you need an OT to help um, treat some of these things that are going on. Okay. Uh, but I think finding those regulatory activities are going to really help you a lot so that he'll um, be able to get to that happy medium without being so distraught. Okay. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you about, little peer activities with his friends, usually those that peer interaction piece just takes time and maturation. When he's biting and hitting, you know that he's doing that just to protect his territory. So try to kind of look at those negative behaviors as that's what he has to do to communicate because he can't really effectively use words yet. Okay. And so when he is able to communicate a little bit better, usually that gets better. Is biting still a huge problem for him? Yeah, I think he just bit someone a couple of weeks ago. It had, you know, we had seen it improve. Um, uh uh-huh. But, I mean, and this you might not be me making... Um, excuses but when we go into his class i mean from the time we walk in they're all hitting each other so it's yeah. like a war zone oh. in there but <laughs> well those teachers need to do okay well if everybody's doing it then you know it's not just jonah so that should make you feel better on some level and so the teachers are just going to have to address keeping everybody's attention and what their activities are at a really appropriate uh, developmental level so that they all are occupied and are not trying to beat the stink out of their friends. (laughs) Um, One thing that helps a lot with kids who are, you know, really bite a lot every day, if the last time he bit somebody was two weeks ago, I'm not even going to talk to you about the other suggestions that I have for children who bite all the time because that's not something that sounds like he does, right? He doesn't bite right. three or four times a day. Okay. Never mind. Oh, no. But okay. hitting and not wanting to share is pretty routine daily. Well, and, you know, just developmentally, he's just not there yet. And so I would work a lot on what you're already doing with your sharing and turn-taking. But the other thing that I would do, or really teach him power words like no and mine. And um, Does he say those things already? Or does he go um, mine. He'll, he'll okay. say mine okay. just a lot. Just keep, I know that it sounds bratty, but just keep working with him on that because I had rather scream that at his friend than hit him or bite him. And so okay. you're you're working to shape the behavior over time. So if he has a word, you're getting there. Just keep working with them on the whole turn take back and forth piece. That that really is developmental though, and you certainly have seen that because all of his little friends are doing it too. So, so when just, he doesn't want to share and he says mine, what should we do? Should we say, 
no, you need to share or don't. It, I mean, what do I you do with that? Do a, I would try to do a trade activity. So either okay. you're going to give him something else that he likes and he can pass that other thing off because he likes it, or you occupy the other kid and say, well, okay. it's still Jonah's turn right now, but you can have this. And okay. so, I mean, the turn-taking piece takes a long time and a lot of negotiation. And with some things, he may just hang on for dear life. And for some <laughs> things, when you offer him a good enough trade, he, that may make it okay for him to do it. And so you'll just have to problem-solve there and decide what approach So it's not better. about teaching him to share because he's not ready. It's just more about mitigating and... That's what I think at this point, just okay. from how you've described him to me. I would okay. I would do, and, you know, I think earlier you mentioned distraction with his uh, teachers at school. You know, they're using a lot of distraction with him. I would keep doing that just because okay. of where he is developmentally. He's not really to the point where his receptive language is strong enough for you to be able to reason with him. And okay. so... That'll get better as his vocabulary improves and as his comprehension level improves. And so don't feel like, well, you know, I'm just I'm just pacifying him. At some point, this kid has just got to learn. He's just not there yet. And when he gets there, you'll okay. know because it'll be easier. It'll be easier. But for right now, I would I would just try to work through that as you can with another kid. And then I think your last question was, what do we do about daycare? And we've already talked about that figure out, you know, if they're going to let him stay where he needs to be developmentally. Um, you can keep working on the potty training stuff. I Again, I haven't seen Jonah. I don't know where he is in that whole process, but if he's not ready, he's not ready. I mean, that's like saying to a three-year-old, you can wear shoes, so you ought to be able to tie them too. You know, that's not really yeah. <laughs> That's what we do to a lot of two-year-olds who are not ready to potty train yet. And any time there's a developmental delay, you can count on potty training being hard, and delayed. I mean, it's just the way it works. So, as far as what I'm, um, when I go to the speech language pathologist and I, mm-hmm. she has us working on something. How do I, do I mention that to the teachers at school? Do I give I totally them any would. tips? I totally would. Okay. I would try to just, and you ask them how they want information. You say, do you just mm-hmm. want me to tell you, or do you want me to write you a little note? Or just ask them what they want to do because some centers are going to have diff- some teachers will have different preferences. She might say, if you could just write me a little paragraph about what it is, that's great. Some teachers aren't readers and will say, nope, you better tell me what you want me to do. So just ask them what their okay. preference is with that. And I would constantly share information about him because it builds empathy. They see Jonah as a kid who needs some special help to get through these very trying developmental milestones <laughs> other than, like, your word for him, a hellion. You know, he just he can't do it yet or he would. And so you really want them to be on his team and really want them to be on his side. And so you can do that with how you talk about him and how you share information and how you say things like, gosh, if he could do it, he would do it. I know he would. And, again, it helps them really see him like they need to see him so that they're in a better position to help him rather than discipline him or whatever option they would choose. So really how you talk about him to them can characterize how they feel about him. And so try to keep that in mind when you're talking about him, too. You want to enlist their help, and it sounds like they are so willing to help you because they kept bringing it back up and they've 
talk to you a lot about their concerns, and so it sounds like you're in a, a good place for that. So just, you know, you're you're coaching them through this whole process too. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really you appreciate are, it. You are so welcome, and I, I want you to call me back at some point and email me back and tell me how he's doing, okay? Okay. Thank you. I, I love your show. I love... Um, just go, you know, looking through your website, it's given me a lot of comfort to know that there is something going on and we can figure it out. So You are not alone. And listen, to thank you for being on today's show. I want to send you something. So let's email back and forth so we can figure out what other products you need. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Bridget. Bye. Okay. That's all for this week. Hope you'll join us next week. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.